everyone and good evening. Thank you for joining Turning a Moment into a Movement. My name is Jay Love and I represent the Justice for Gerard movement. Gerard is my son who was wrongfully incarcerated for a crime he didn't do. Innocent, but he went to prison, served two years, and now that he's home. And although, you know, we're happy he's home, we're still fighting for justice for him. And so below on the screen, you see scrolling at the bottom, um, um, www.change.org slash justice for Gerard is where you can go and find out more about Gerard's story and um, even sign the petition and share with others. But we're here um, because that journey with Gerard birthed this movement, turning a moment into a movement. And we come here every Friday to talk about wrongful convictions or injustice. Um, we our goal is to empower and inform. So thank you for joining us. We appreciate you all for um, being with us. And uh, we're going to get started. So we're going to bring on, hold on a second, guys. Revitia. Hey, Revitia. Well, hello there. How are you today? I'm great. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm happy to be here tonight. Uh, 
And I know that, you know, it's important that we continue to, to speak out uh, in everyday life. I am a behaviorist at a school, um, at an elementary. Well, to put it plainly, I'm a social worker. <laughs> and I help do behavior intervention is my specialty. Okay. And so um, it's funny because we do all these things for children and try to help them to be more accountable, accountable for their actions, accountable for what they're doing, trying to focus on the good and at the same time help correct some behaviors. But we don't do that with each other. And we don't do that all the time in society. Uh, so I'm so glad to be here today because it is time for the people to understand the power that we do have within us. And as I continue to work with other social justice movements. This is, of course, very dear to my heart. I also work with Flint, uh, with the water crisis, with Bishop Bernadette Jefferson, and with the Universal uh, Michigan Social Justice Network. Uh, and, you know, if we don't make choices for change now, we're going to keep getting the same thing. Exactly. We're going to keep because and we have to change our expectation. And so I just want to say thank you for the platform. Thank you for um, for the voices to be heard. And then thank you in advance, because I know that it's time to act and put our actions, make sure our actions are in alignment with what we really believe. Exactly, Reverend Tia. So, Reverend Tia, before we get started, because I, I think that our panel, a couple of our panel members are running late today, but um, before we get started, uh, you say you work in the schools and we um, are living through uh, what happened um, in Oxford, the sh school shooting. And can you talk a little bit about the the atmosphere that's going on in the schools, you know, how the kids are feeling? Well, you know, and not, not only the, the children, the parents and the the people who work in the school. Yeah. Um, Oxford is not an isolated incident. There are incidents. There are many children who are hurting, who are angry, who are growing up in adverse dysfunctional environments and everybody wants somebody to fix it and everybody is waiting on somebody to do something and nobody does it mm -hmm. you know the story yeah. everybody's waiting on somebody and nobody nobody's doing it um and there you know a lot of times people don't want to take responsibility for reporting. And a lot of times some of the social workers and those who work in the schools are wondering, how do I take the responsibility off of me so that I'm not charged, you know? Um, and then you have on the other hand where People don't, you know, they're so, a lot of times, so hooked on 
labeling a child and making sure everything is fair, that they miss the opportunities to truly intervene. They People are not understanding when something is critical or they don't believe what the child is saying. Mm -hmm. And so that's one incident in, incident in one school. There are several children out here just like him that have probably been bullied, that are probably don't, probably don't fit in. I mean, it's a time for us to really look at our own values. Mm -hmm. What are we instilling in our in the next generation? You know, what is important? If your child is going to school talking about guns and killing people or knives and cutting people, that that's not that is not normal mm -hmm. okay it's not normal and consequently if you are an adult and you're walking around with that much hatred or anger you need help and we miss it a lot of times people miss it because certain angers have been acceptable. Mm -hmm. Certain behaviors have been acceptable through so many people, through so many generations. And they don't, nobody wants to call it crazy. Mm -hmm. No one wants to give it a diagnosis. No one wants to say, well, because you're thinking like this right now, you don't need to have a driver's license. And you definitely don't need to carry a gun. We've been impacted as a community moment by moment, trauma after trauma. And it's because we, we don't want to deal with it. We want and then, you know, of course, they're, they're blaming the parents. But I'm sure, you know, what happened to CPS involved with that family before this? Mm -hmm. You know, what was going on where nobody was called? Why is it that some behaviors are looked on as not that bad? You know, so we have work to do. Yeah, a lot. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of work to do. We got a lot of work to do. Right. Let's bring in Allie. Hey, Allie. Hey. How are you yeah, today? Oh. <laughs> I'm doing good. Doing good. Introduce yourself. <laughs> um, I'm Alexandria, um, a certified behavior therapist, um, also an activist, and also I'm on uh, Representative Kyra Bolton's Advisory Council. And yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Yay, thank you for joining us. We got a lot to unpack today. I see Attorney Hugo Mack is in the room. Um, get him on here. Hey. Hey, look here. Can you hear me? Yes. See, unfortunately, I always have to ask that question, you know. <laughs> but look here. I'm broadcasting from a secret uh, location, you know, <laughs> in my line of work. You know, I'm, I'm the only attorney. My office changed every day, you know, so don't nobody really know where I am. So, okay. so, so, <laughs> look here. Look, look here. But... 
but it it isn't from y'all that I'm hiding. You know, it's uh, you know, elements from the state. You know, always trying to keep a tab on me. But yeah. I'm I'm here with you. I'm here with you. I'm safe in my car in a nondescript parking lot of a at a mall. I'll leave it like that for for your safety, not my own. All so, right. so, <laughs> but you know, uh, Attorney Hugo J. Mack, uh, Esquire. A former candidate for Washington County prosecutor attorney, because we need change. We need change from the bottom up, and uh, and the top down. So we have to be. I think it was Gandhi that said, "Be the change you want to see." You know, and so you got to be brave enough to stand up and offer your services. You know, because even if you don't quote unquote get elected, you can change the narrative. And that's what I'm so proud of that campaign. We change the narrative. Without our candidacy, you know, we're not talking about systemic racism the way it should be talked about. We're not talking about mass incarceration the way it should be talked about. We're not talking about a racist police culture the way it should have been talked about. So uh, th there's a lot of ways to win. Uh, getting the most votes is, is, is not necessarily the be all to end all. So. Uh, you know, I'm here and, and I'm proud to be here. And, you know, I just want you to know, keep praying for me, because when I go into court, I tell those judges, the police, uh, those prosecutors, those lying state witnesses, those lying lab technicians, in the words of my late cousin, Bernie Mac, I ain't scared of y'all. <laughs> so, you know, so that's <laughs> I know that's right. So, so anyway, so look, I'm I'm proud to be here. I'm proud to be here. We're happy you're here as well. Thank you for joining in. Amen. So today we're gonna um, talk about the spiritual um, and the connection and the justice connection. And the reason why we probably need to have this conversation because everything we're seeking it starts with us, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it's that we have to become the change to make change happen. That's right. Um, bringing our guests on that note. Hi, Reverend Spencer. You got to unmute yourself. <laughs> yes, I do, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Reverend <Welcome>. Tia. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing? Alexandra, good to meet you, Attorney Hugo Mack. Good to meet you. Good to meet you, sir. So good to be here, Jay. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you. So just tell everyone, because there's a lot of people who probably never met you before. Okay. A little bit about yourself. Sure. I am um, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia now. I've been here for about 10 years. Um from Detroit, Michigan. Was an educator in Detroit for about 20 years in the public school system. I was at Paul Robeson Academy for uh, seven or eight years. Then I moved over to Academy of the Americas in Southwest Detroit. Uh, did a lot of mentoring with um, boys and started working with men while I was there, transforming, helping to transform uh, men's lives and, and uh, my life in the process. And I uh, just continued that work and that's always been my work. And so I came to Atlanta and uh, began to do some work with men in the uh, DeKalb County Jail here to transformational doing some transformational programs with them. And uh, I began to, uh, my study of conflict transformation, sort of what we're talking about going into it, the attention and transforming, uh, uh, you know, people in conflict, communities in conflict, uh, couples in tension, all that type of stuff. And 
and which took me into the movement, uh, the violence prevention movement. So I've been uh, men stopping violence for a while and uh, I'm director of prevention programs there. So we do some prevention work with men um, and uh, intervention work with men as well. And so it's, um, uh, as you said, Jay, it all, all starts with us. And so transforming people um, and transforming uh, <clears throat> you know, tension or violence into peace all starts with us. And so I do intervention classes and prevention work with men. Uh, specifically, uh, <clears throat> the area I'm working in now is um, working in the areas of violence against women, gender-based violence. And so uh, intimate partner violence, sexual violence, domestic violence. And so we work with men and uh, we, we organize men to eliminate violence against women. So um, <coughs> I work, but that, that is the main work. So I've been, been in that for a while now. Yeah, so you wrote a book and uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? <laughs> yeah, I did. So uh, when I came down to uh, Georgia, I, I um, ended up enrolling in uh, New York Theological Seminary an extension program went back and forth and professors came here and that program took about three or four years. And so again, the, the major, my major was conflict transformation. And so um, when it came time to do the dissertation, I was always interested in looking at relationships, uh, particularly intimate, intimate partner relationships, uh, romantic relationships. And so, um, I want to kind of investigate, do some research on the tension in those relationships. And so I use my own experience as, as kind of um, um, <clears throat> motivation to, to do that as well. And, um, and so as I did it, it just took me deeper into um, this idea of tension in relationships and violence against women. And so but because I was in a um, seminary school, I began to look at... Um, how these ideas of the divine or ideas of God or perceptions of God, how they inform how we live our lives. And so um, I found that that's true and that's true for many. And it also it is also true for how many men perceived women or um, uh, I found that some of the roots of violence were in uh, men's beliefs about women or um, their perceptions of women that were um, indoctrinated and they were socialized into at an early age. And so I kept going deep into that. And so it took me into the study of religion and patriarchy and how that can lead toward violence toward women. And so once I did the dissertation, I think I finished that in 2016. And I uh, ended up taking a few chapters from the dissertation and publishing the book in uh, 2018. And so that's how that's how the book was born. That's an awesome book. And uh, yeah. for those who want to grab a copy, it is on Amazon. Yeah, it is on, you can find it on Amazon. And uh, just type in my name or type in Conspiracy of Silence and title and it'll, it'll pop up. Yeah. Okay, cool. So today, Reverend Spencer, uh, we want to talk about the connection of spirituality and justice. Hello. And I'm going to mute Attorney Hugo Mack right quick. <laughs> spirituality and justice. So... Um, as we do a lot of work and um, out here, um, I know Allie, she does a lot of organizing and um, Trisha, who hasn't joined us yet, but we want to talk about our responsibility on the other end as um, um, individuals who yeah. want or seek justice. Um, 
how do we participate? Because some of us are, I don't want to say asleep because that's the the trendy uh, word that we are saying, but we're just not um, participating or or we have the belief that if it's this is not happening to me, right? I'm not, you know, it doesn't involve me. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. That that's exactly right, and that's true in general. And particularly since my work is primarily with men, we 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 talk to men about that. Uh, and I think you know when you say you say that, I think of the um, that quote by Martin Luther King talks about the silence of our friends. It's not just the you know, it, that that allows evil to continue to exist because the silence of so-called good people who who, who do nothing because uh, silence, silence becomes complicity. Right. Because um, many people, particularly when it comes to violence, you know, and I'll I'll use the lessons that I talk about in, in what I do, but I think it can be transferred to anything. Um, um, yeah, people don't you know, want to be involved. Um, there's, 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 there's men who think when you talk about DV or domestic violence, violence towards a woman, people think that, uh, a violence is simply physical, you know, uh, when, when it is emotional, it's psychological, it's financial, it is reproductive rights. It's all those things. So people don't really, uh, many men or people don't get involved. They don't think that's, that's their issue. Um, People, I think there's a, a spectrum for all of us, whether men, women, boys, girls, um, of, of the way we've been socialized and, and, and indoctrinated. I think that, you know, it's easy to look on TV and see what's happening and be, oh, that's terrible. You know, this is this happened, that happened, man. Look at, let's put this guy, let's, let's lock him up, let's do this. Uh, but as you say, it all begins with us. And so, if you're talking about dismantling systems, right? You, we have to dismantle the system inside of us first. The system, the system that 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 tends even within us to separate from to separate from from our brother or our sister because of gender or race or something like that or sexual orientation. All those things we have to break down with it because um, creating, you know, there's a there's a quote by one of my favorite uh, philosophers. Um, Krishnamurti, who talks about violence. And he talks about violence starting when you separate yourself by um, belief or religion or this or that. You know what I mean? You separate. So the idea of I'm separating from you uh, begins, you know, this whole thing of mine is better than yours. I'm better than you or this competition. You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't uh, engender this oneness that says, what I do to my brother and sister, I do to myself. What I believe about my brother and sister, I believe about myself. And so all those things within too is, is kind of the root, some of the things we have, the work we have to do within to, to, to break down, to dismantle all the thinking and indoctrination and socialization that we've all had uh, for most of our lives. And then we could offer that in, to the community, to others, and we can invite people into that. But we, before healing others, we have to heal ourselves. So we have we have to do that that work, but I think this society, uh, this Western society in the in the world period, has been good at this divide and conquer thing, uh, been good at uh, colonialism, capitalism, uh, patriarchy, 
uh, white supremacist ideology is good at the construct of race that was created. It's been good at creating these divisions and separations where now we, um, you know, you got people going around now comparing oppressions, who's oppressed more than the other, you know, and, and, and we can't ever join together in this manner of the system that's oppressing all of us if we're still fighting within, uh, you, you know, those things. And so uh, that that's my work. And I think not only with men, but I think that's that's a concept and that's a theme that can be used with everybody mm-hmm. uh, going to dismantle these systems together. Right. Allie? Yeah. Um, you know, this all just makes me think about a lot of people that, uh, you know, who aren't directly impacted and how they feel so detached. And then that makes it where they don't want to be involved or are involved at all. And I think about how in a lot of ways people can be a safe space for um, racism to continue to exist when they do that. Um, you know, not saying anything in the circles you are in yeah. and also not taking actions. So you're just allowing it to fester and to continue. Right. And um, there are a lot of people that do that. And also think about on the other end of the spectrum where there are people impacted by these carceral systems, by these institutions that harm them. And, and they may not be black. These are people who may be um, immigrants, may be um, you know, born in this country, but impacted by uh, different things in this country. And um, I guess to those people, I say, you have to understand that by not fighting this fight, you're not fighting your own. And the way I explain it is that, you know, we have different struggles. Like people of color, we're, it's not just one group, obviously. It's black and then there's other groups of color. Um, but there's an intersection where our struggles meet. That's right. For example, um, the, you know, ICE facilities where immigrants are housed are owned by the same people that own prisons. So as, as they invest in uh, mass incarceration, they invest in that just as much. And many times those places look the same. Yeah. So that is just one of many ways where that where our struggles intersect. So That's by right. you not fighting to end mass incarceration, you're not fighting to end your own struggle. That's right. I couldn't have said that better. That's absolutely right. Until we until we see that, you know, until we see that and that's like, that's the widening, Alexandra, it's like the widening of the lens. We have to widen our lens to see that. And, but if everybody's just caught up in their own struggle, you know, in their own trauma, which, 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 which is valid, you know what I mean? But when we're caught up into that pain, I think Jay and, and, and Rev Tia, that's why we talk so much about healing at TLC, because you, because you have to, you have to do that soul process and that healing and that trauma work because you won't even see that, you know, the, it, what's happening at the ICE facilities and even what was happening with the children and the women at some of these facilities, some that were down here in Georgia. Oh man, the, the abuse that was going on with the, the women and um, oh man, it was just, it was, it was terrible. And until we can see how with the intersection, but because I'm so glad you mentioned that because we teach in our curriculum at Men Stopping Violence, we teach this portion of intersectionality on on um on seeing though that connectedness you know 
I was I was talking to somebody today and and I was talking to one of my colleagues, uh, one of my brothers, a, a white brother. We were just going into some deep conversation. And we were talking about the same thing, intersectionality and common oppression. I said, you know, if <clears throat> if you're talking about white folks, if, if poor white folks knew too what the system is doing to them, you know, Fred Hampton, that's what Fred Hampton was trying to do, telling, showing everybody that that there's a there's an a, a oppressive system that's affecting us all. Right. You know, and that, that's affecting us all. But the problem is one of the problems, and this is the problem that people we all have to deal with, people, particularly those who are marginalized. And this is this is the first one I believe. And I, 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 I honestly believe this. I say it. I teach it. I talk about it when we're doing that. The experiences of black women have to be at the center of our work and what we do, particularly in violence prevention, because you have. Um, white women too who are the victims of violence but they also can easily side with their whiteness you know what i'm saying they could they can they can side with their whiteness and people people were asking well honey you know how many how, how can so many white women vote for trump you know when he was saying all this about women when he was doing it when you knew that he was sexist he was misogynist he was all those things you know when, when you side with your own interests and that's that's what happens sometimes and I even talked to black men and black men understanding the 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 uh, the rates of uh, domestic and sexual violence, you know, that's perpetrated on women, particularly particularly black women. Um, but if 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 men stand back inside with their their maleness, then they're not going to see, you know, they they, they 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 won't see that if they retreat to that to a patriarchal thinking and that that in that indoctrination. Um, but what I try to get people to see is that that's what this whole system has done, internalized oppression and trauma. That is so much healing work that needs to be done. Because in many ways, the system has pitted black women against black men. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it, it's pitted them against each other as if it's a competition where we're both, you know, we both need some healing and we both need some. But in the absence of that, we and you know violence is enacted as a result of the unhealing and and not healing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And Ramatia. Yeah, you know that's that's so true. I mean, I I agree with everyone on the panel. I mean, the thing about it is that um, it's it, we are fight. Well, I don't want to say we're fighting it because my mindset today is that. Um, I am empowered and I'm not going to be struggling back and forth trying to, to decide whether I am a person of empowerment or not. I am definitely a person who is empowered. And, and a lot of times when it comes to religion, if you look back through the history, the conversation has always been, you know, what what the purpose of religion um, was. And even in the Marx belief was that religion helped to preserve the existing class structure, you know, because it kept everybody in their place. Okay, so when you know the history of the thing that it 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 was there to, it was allowed to keep everybody <laughs> in their place. 
And, and yet we talk about this anointing or this spirit that we have inside of us that has given us power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt us. But however, we are sold another narrative that we believe, you know. And so my question is always, what have you bought into? Why do we keep buying the, the same narrative? You know, at some point, my my thing today is I'm taking everything back. Mm -hmm. My family, I, I, my my health, the medicine, the earth, yes. relationships, education. When you know that how education started, when you know who held the the truth, then then it's time to reteach that truth. But children are, are not, and my thing is just teach the truth. Teach if you, if people just taught real history, everybody would know the truth because you can't knock a person down who looks like the beginning of the creation of all things. That's right. There is a oneness. When we get down to it, there's a oneness where whether I see my brother or my sister, regardless of what they look like, I, you know, when you mature to a certain place, you realize that I'm one with that brother, one with that sister, regardless of their color. Because I know that there's a spirit inside of that person. I'm one with the animals and I'm one with the earth. But see, we can't even be begin to be one with the earth because there's this enmity that we have with everything. We're fighting everything. We fight the earth. We fight, and I said it yesterday, look, we, somebody told us that working the field is slave work and we turned our backs on it. Someone told us, someone, someone sold that narrative because of our history. But we held all the medicine. We knew how to get to wellness. And we knew how to make our masters healed from all kinds of diseases. And, and now most of our generation haven't even put their fingers in the dirt. Wow. To feel it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, I I feel that, Reverend Tia. That 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 is that is the truth. And um and and we I, I know we I mean we're called to just invite to live it and invite other people into that truth, you know, continue that that's what our job is. I was looking at this proverb. Uh, earlier, Proverbs twenty one fifteen he said, "When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous. When justice is done, it's a joy to the righteous, but terror to the evildoers. <laughs> it's a terror to the evildoers. You know what I mean? Oh uh, yeah. Because we well we know that some there there is there is some that don't want to see justice, that want to hold on to power, that want to hold on to the way that things things were. But this that time is up." <laughs> That time is up, and that's why we're doing. That's why we're doing this, Jay. And I'm so glad you're doing this because, really, and this I think you said this in your introduction before before you brought me in is that 
oneness and love is justice. Mm-hmm. Everything T is somebody is justice. Right. The truth is justice. Mm-hmm. There is no separation between love and justice, how you live, you know? Right. That's right. And, and, and um, but we sep- we've separated into this the sacred and the secular. That's not our ways as people, that's not our indigenous way. Spirituality permeates everything we do. Right. Oh yeah. Right. Everything. Right. Yes. Yes. Attorney, I like I like that because you said their time is up. Yeah. <laughs> their time is up. Yeah. Their time is up. And, and you know why? Because it is insane. You know, when you really think about it, think about the the fear. Either we're living by faith or we're living in fear. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can't do both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Choose one. You're going to live in faith or you're going to live in fear. And And the sad thing is that we accept the fear trends that have rocked our world and continue to rock our world. My thing is this, if you are in the medical field and you haven't figured out healing or recovery, you know, get to every paper I write right now, get to recovery, get to recovery, whether it's recovery from mental illness or substance abuse, I don't care what it is, recovery is possible. And you can get there. You can get to recovery. We have to get to healing. Don't keep telling me what's coming. Yeah. You are to me. You are worthless. Yeah. If you sitting in a high position, and you call yourself a person who is supposed to be top notch in medicine, and you haven't figured out a way to heal, step down. Yeah. Yeah. I think you know. A lot of people in office don't see themselves a part of making healing happen, like that they can do anything um, because they're directly linked to policy. But healing happens through policy. Mm-hmm. You know, harm mm-hmm. has happened through policy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we can't say healing can't happen through policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we got to know, there's there's no middle ground between harm and humanity. There's no middle ground there. Like you choose one or the other. Right. Um, yeah, and, and it's honestly like it's time to use that policy power yeah. to push us towards healing, reconciliation with you know the harm that has been caused, yeah. and and it's time to move on to something better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because those policies that you're talking about that can heal us can bring us together, yeah. and yeah. those things that were separating us yeah. is those yeah. things that they put in place. Yeah. But that can, the paradigm is shifting <laughs> when these people of consciousness are changing. Yeah. And we want to find the solutions because we're tired. We're tired of living in a world that full of injustice, uh, full of uh, people that are hurting and pain and in trauma. You know, we want to be healed. Mm-hmm. Attorney Hugo Matt. Well, a couple okay. things, probably about three things. One, yes, yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Hello? Mm-hmm. We hear you. All right. Actually, about three things. Okay. Actually, about three things. You know, first of all, in terms of, of women, you know, I, I heard a speech where Malcolm said that 
the, the most disadvantaged person in America is the black woman. Mm-hmm. All right. You know, mm-hmm. you know, Malcolm said that. All right. Yes, and the most discriminated against segregated person is the black woman. And in large measure, I agree with that. But but part of the problem I have is in terms of black women who uh, are real part and parcel with the with the feminist movement and the uh, you know the women's rights movement, which is a wonderful thing. But my my concern is that some of those women need to understand, just like the brother said, when it comes down to it, a lot of our Caucasian sisters will vote their race, not their gender. All right. You know, that's why you had so many Caucasian women voting for Trump, despite the man being, you know, an avowed uh, sexist and a sexual predator. I would remind all of you that the 19th Amendment was passed in 1920, giving women the right to vote. But not all women. Not all women. Black women would not have the right to vote until 1965 with the passage of the Voting Rights Act. And when you notice when you notice when the 15th Amendment was passed, uh, get, uh, get, giving, pe- giving black people the right to vote, that really was something that a lot of the feminist movement were against because they did not feel the necessity for black men, low-grade men, human beings, to be given the right to vote before a white woman, you understand? So you've got like Susan B. Anthony and 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 and, and some of these women, these white women that are heralded as great feminists, but they were really, really, really the top line racist, if you want to know the truth about it, okay? Um, in the disparaging of, of black men and therefore black women as, as well. So, you know, m- m- my concern, even in talking with, with some of our sisters about this, is to caution them that saying, well, we've got a woman governor now, that's, that's great. Well, just having a governor that goes into a different bathroom than a man doesn't impress me, okay? So I, I want to see the healing and policies that come from her to be able to show a humanity, not just based on, on gender, because a gender-based analysis has really never helped black women to be, to be candid about it. It, it, it. it really hasn't. It's only when race and culture are taken into the mix that we see true advancement for, um, for women of color, black women. That is, that is, yeah. that, that is so true. That is so true uh, from working in the, in the arena of, of DV. We see now, <clears throat> we see now that there's that, that that black women are 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 and have for a while carving their own. Uh, when you talk about violence against women, and the part of violence, sexual violence, and feminist movement, car- carving their own space because of just what Attorney Mac just said, carving their own space, and mm-hmm. and that was so true because uh, I I was <clears throat> just reading that a little while ago. I mean, some months ago that Susan B. Anthony, you know. You know, Frederick Douglass, they were all tight until until that issue of voting rights came up. <laughs> and exactly and they, that issue of voting rights came up. Then it was like, oh yeah, I think we should get it first. I think, you know, and all like that. And so that's right. <laughs> it, is, it is it is it is still right. there. And so when this is why, even when you saw 
you all remember when um then when trump was first elected it was this big march women marched on dc it was a big march of women mm -hmm. you know and there was a there was some mm -hmm. dissension in there and this is again why i talk about putting the the experience of the black women's center not just because they're black not just because but because they're the most marginalized because healing and change comes from the most marginalized mm -hmm. You know, it, it, come, it, it, come, it comes from that. And so uh, it, it is it is born from that that experience. And so that's 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 who will teach others uh, what to do. And that, you know, you know, um, and until we all, you know, uh, come to grips with that, uh, the movement will, will stay stagnant until we all come together on that. Um, but again, that's 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 some of that separation. So if we could if we could. Um, if we could dis, dis, dismantle, I keep saying dismantle that 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 separation, um, and and grow from the most grow from the experience of the most marginalized man. That that that's it. So I I, I totally agree, Attorney Mac. I, I totally agree. It's, uh, it's almost like now you can't address one without addressing the other. That's right. Like you know, sexism and and um, gender discrimination. It at the root of that is. You know racism like it that's you right. know against black people that's that's the root of that so like you just addressing gender issues yeah. you can't do one without the other it doesn't you work you cannot you, you yeah. cannot so um uh i heard earlier ali you and uh Reverend spence you guys talked about the disconnect and i think in order for us to take accountability we have to find out you know go to the root of the issue, like where and what, um, why is there a disconnect? You know, cause we had these big movements um, in the sixties and then now we have a real big disconnect. And so what is the root of that disconnect? Because if we don't, I and this is just my opinion, how I feel, but if we don't understand how we're disconnected we, we won't know, understand how to turn it on or turn it off, you know? And there's a disconnect when we think, you know, oh, if that's your problem or, <laughs> or that doesn't happen in my family or, you know, I don't know, you know, there's a bit disconnect. Where is that root? How can we get to the root of the disconnect? I'll let well, you I, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Remzi, I'll let you all go first, yes. I you know, I was just going to say, it's just um, a lot of us have taken on the mind of the oppressor. Okay. That is a mentality that is taught. And we had, I had to ask myself, am I operating in the same mind as one who has been oppressing people? What does that mind look like? That That's a mind that wants to put uh, a distinction between me and somebody else make me feel like I'm better than somebody else. Make me feel like I need to be in position and have somebody subordinate to me. You know, when, when you look at the fact that in today, today, slavery still exists all over the world. It's still millions of people who are slaves in Africa, Korea, 
all over. This is, there is still that mindset, and I call it pinky in the brain, where somebody just wants to take over the world. Well, what are we going to do today? We're going to take over the world. There's a mind to have to take over, to have to destroy somebody in order for you, for somebody else to feel like they are victorious or triumphant. There is that mindset that continues to be pervasive, not only in our history, but all over the world. Mm -hmm. And that's how come they can't really, they don't, nobody really wants to tell the full history. Because if you say the full history, if you tell the truth, then you have to talk about kill, steal, destroy, rape, plunder, annihilate. If you tell the truth, this truth has to be so horrific and in our face where we don't want to do it anymore. But the reason why they don't want to tell it because they keep doing it. Because mm -hmm. we still got to go to battle because we still need some oil because we still need because we can't we don't have the chip over here. So we're going to have to go get the chip. Somebody got to make it and they got to make it for two cents. And then we running around here. <laughs> I was going to say backwards i was gonna put another word before then but I knew anyway but we run around here trying to figure out what we're gonna do with the chip can't run nothing because we don't outsource everything why because we have the mind of the oppressor somebody got to do it for us for free we're so used mm -hmm. to slavery yeah I, and, I, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. oh, um, I was going to say, I think part of, well, I think two things. So, um, I feel like part of the reason we see in a disconnect is because we spend a lot of time just reacting to the terrible things that keep happening versus, um, taking time to really think about what has happened to others, to us, the research, the, the experiences we've had like taking time to process that to maintain ourselves. We aren't, um, we're, we spend a lot of time reacting um, because of all the bad things that continue to happen versus taking a step back and looking at ourselves and others and, and having these conversations. I think that's part of why there's a disconnect, but I would say there isn't as much of a disconnect. I feel like that is changing. And I only say that because um, I think about how you know, the movement in 2020 was the biggest since the 60s, like the civil rights movement. That's the biggest the country has seen. Mm -hmm. So that is changing. Um, now, are we where we need to be? No, not at all. But um, when I see things like um, Evanston, uh, Illinois, creating reparations within a city that isn't 50% Black, they were the first place to even do that. And that happened this year. Um, when I see things like, uh, um, there's like places like Carlisle, Pennsylvania. I saw something. They they don't really even have a black population, but they have a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. You know that's addressing historical wounds um, of racism in the city. So, you know, I feel like that is changing. There is still a disconnect, but it's it's it's. I don't see it. I'm hopeful. I guess I don't see it um, staying forever. <laughs> 
I, I just see a lot of a lot of movement and people that don't look like me and, and they don't have to create reparations in that city. We don't even really live there, but they did because it was the right thing to do. Um, so yeah, those, those kind of things make me hopeful. Attorney Hugo Matt. Well, that is true. And, you know, that is always uh, a cause for hope. But I think part of the part of the problem is, you know, in in Ghana or Nigeria or Kenya, race is not an issue. All right. And you've got people there that are elitists, okay, uh, imperialists in every sense of the word, chauvinist in every sense of the word, against people who look exactly like them. So my point is with black people in the last 400 plus years having to struggle so much to be a part of the country, well, be careful what you wish for, okay? Because with black folks in the 13th, 14th and 15th amendments, the only people in the history of the country, by the way, that have had to have three constitutional amendments even begin to make us human beings, I might add, that I think what has happened is when we look at blacks that have fought in every war that this country has ever had, uh, there's the, the legend of Crispus Attucks. He may or may not have been the first person killed. But what I'm saying is, is that we have fought so hard, so hard to be a part of this nation. Like Dr. King said, you know, the nation has written us a check that, that has never been cashed. And we fought so hard I think what has happened to us psychologically, we've really adapted to the culture that is around us in terms of, of, of American, all right? And what I'm saying is America is the richest, most powerful nation in the, not just on the face of the earth, but in the history of the world, in the history of the world. And so what I'm saying is when we are a part of that, we as black people, we've, we've adopted that. So just by assimilation and getting in, I mean, I've seen it in some black folks, the attitude of, well, I got mine, you know, I worked hard for mine, okay? Other people don't have theirs. It's because they did not work as hard as I worked. They didn't take advantage. They made poor decisions. See, that's that American culture that says, I've got mine. If you don't have yours, it's because you don't deserve it. And so- Part of what I see with our people is we've adopted that because I've seen black people make horrendously, horrendously vicious statements about other black folks because they live in a certain part of town. OK, mm -hmm. you know, so so to be candid with you, you know, we really are our own worst enemy, to be very honest with you about that, you know, and, and the way we've adopted a culture. Uh, I'm going to say this. You remember the movie Django Unchained? <laughs> yeah. All right. Remember, remember Samuel L. Jackson, the, the role he played. Mm -hmm. OK. OK. He is the classical house Negro that, that Malcolm talked about. All right. The classical house Negro. And part of the problem is part of the problem is with the advances that black folks have made. And I hate to be crass about this with us moving from, quote unquote, the field to more of an opportunity sometimes every now and again. We have some of us have adopted that attitude of looking at them people in the field and, you know, we got to put our noses down at them because 
I got a, a new pair of shoes. Well, the master's old shoes are new to me. All right. And and there's a there's a, a wooden floor in my shack, you know, and the mother people got a dirt floor. So, you know, they get they get they get the chitlins, you know, but I get I get some of the scraps off the master's table. And a lot of us are very happy with that. As long as we can look back and see somebody behind us in a race, it don't matter if there's a hundred people ahead of us in the race. Part of the mojo against black people is as long as there's one person behind us, I feel good. Right. Uh, so Harriet said I could have freed more people if they only knew they were slaves. Correct. Go ahead, Reverend Spencer. No, what Attorney Mackinson said. That, I mean, when you talk about even the uh, African countries he mentioned, I mean, that's the power of colonialism and capitalism, you know, mm -hmm. to, you know, but the power of it to you know, that becomes, that becomes classism, even though everyone is black, you know what I mean? Everyone is, you know, it's just, um, yeah, it is, it is, it is that indoctrination. And that's what we're talking about going back to, uh, indigenous ways, with age, ways of our ancestors, you know, before y'all, all this, you know, it's a return to that. But if we are assimilated and indoctrinated by, by all of that, then we will be, we will take on the lessons of the oppressor and then become, uh, and then become become the oppressor mm -hmm. ourselves. You know, another thing. Well, another thing I think keeps us um, divided. I heard your question earlier. Is I think, um, or can keep us divided, keep us from 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 being a part of this movement, is the media as well. I think the media, man, is so. You know, and sometimes you just have to turn that thing off. You know what I mean? As you know, Erica. Eric and I like watching, you know, like watching Dateline and 2020, sometimes all that, man. And so there were a couple of new ones on about uh, Ahmaud Aubrey. And I was like, I don't want to see another thing about Ahmaud Aubrey. I know, you know what I'm saying? Why? Because what it does is it's re-traumatizing. You got you to gotta ask yourself, why would you watch something over and over and over and over again? It's re-traumatizing. And why would someone put that on TV over and over and over again? It's re-traumatizing. When you get re-traumatizing, then how can you be in a space where you're fighting for freedom and justice if you're re-traumatized? Because let's be honest, we're all imp empaths. We feel, you know? You know, I, I feel because you know, why I believe everything, you know, certainly wholeheartedly believe about we're part of a movement. We're limitless. We do all this. But I'm still pained when I see something that happens, you know, on TV. When I see, I'm I'm still pained, but yet I still gotta believe in where we're at because we are. Things are changing, as Alexandra was saying. Things are, but we are. We have to look at that that wider lens. But if we just get stuck in that trauma and stuck in that pain, we'll be paralyzed by it. And I think the media does a good job of of, of you know. And so it's up to us to turn that thing off. To, to you know, so our energy is not zapped by all that trauma and re-traumatization, and so we can put our energy into doing what we're doing now. We can put our energy into bringing in this new dispensation, this new thing, and then because what you see is, and one of the reasons we see it too, is because as historical power, right, is losing, is losing its power, is losing its power, it's going to hold on to it tighter. Is going to try to hold on to it tight. You know what I mean? And, and because, 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 it, because the feeling that it is coming. So, you know, 
we we have to realize this and keep and keep organizing and keep doing what we're doing, keep speaking truth, keep teaching truth. Tia, I heard what you say, Reverend Tia. I mean, everything you say, that's why they don't want to teach 1619 in the schools. That's right. You know? <laughs> no, it's going, you know, it's going, it's going to hurt our white children. It's going to make them, hey, what? Are you right? <laughs> you know? So, um, you guys, um, when you talk about the media, I think the media, um, it, it kind of desensitized you because uh, I can remember, you know, we never would see someone get shot in the head or, you know, mm -hmm. or even just taking bullets or getting, you know, on TV. And now that's all on TV. You see yeah. all these things. And after a while, once you keep looking at it and looking at it, you become desensitized in order to deal with the, with the pain, with the trauma of watching someone get hurt or die in your, you know, your eyesight. And I think that has a lot to do, like you said, Reverend uh, Spence, with the disconnect. Yeah. yeah. It turns you off. You know, you can't physically turn off the TV, but mentally it turns you off. Yeah. And so when we're talking about, you know, standing up for justice or, you know, when we talk about wrongful convictions, when we see all these people being exonerated, like, Every day you see another one, exonerate, exonerate, exonerate. When we see all these exonerations, it seemed like we would be like, oh my God, not another. <laughs> but instead we're just like numb, like we're, we're on something, you know. But, you know, these are all the things that, you know, like you said, zapping our energy, turning our frequency down. And so with that being said, it kind of keeps us from, you know, utilizing our power, understanding who we are. Yeah. 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 It's been the expectation. Mm -hmm. You know, it has been the expectation for us to get locked up. It has been the expectation for us to be criminalized. It has been, that has been our narrative. That has been the expectation. You know, so the thing about it is the power is still with us. Mm -hmm. It's based upon what we're choosing to believe in how we are operating in this world and what we deem to be important. You can, I can look at your money flow and I, I can show, show you what is important to you because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And, and so if your treasure and your time and your talents are being orchestrated in a way that is not serving your family, not serving your culture, not serving the ancestors, then it's going to be evident. It's evident. So the power is still within and it's within us. So, you know, so you tell your children, this is, we don't do this because it's not, it's not kosher for us. Why? Because we're the king's children. My my kids couldn't watch bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do? <laughs> you know they couldn't. I wouldn't let them see it. I wouldn't let them see it. They grew up thinking that they were all of that and a bag of chips. <laughs> now that doesn't mean I I didn't wasn't truthful and honest about you know when they got the keys. You can't go driving around willy nilly in Dearborn and Allen Park. No, I was very honest about it. But, but the thing about it is that I didn't do it so that they would be afraid. 
we have power. Mm-hmm. And we got to start calling those things, like Reverend Spencer said, that be not as though they were. Yeah. We got to show them something different. We need to, when the media is showing all this stuff back to back, we don't get to see anything that's uplifting in our community. Turn it off. That's right. We haven't been uplifted in a long time, but you know what? We better find ways to uplift ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we have to show our, these next generations, we have to show them something different. Yeah. And we have to be determined about that. And say no. Yeah. Say no to some of this stuff out here. Yeah. Giving kids a phone, open them up to the world. Mm-hmm. The father can't even answer the phone no more. You had to go through five, six people before you talked to me. Right. <laughs> right. Not that's, even that's right. Who is you? Who are you? <laughs> right. <laughs> who are you? Why are you? You know. <laughs> right. And see, and can I, J Love, can I say this? Yeah. See, th- that is so true. And what I preach all the time to my young black clients, okay, uh, male and female, but, but predominantly male, okay, you don't have the privilege of thinking that you're on par with your white counterparts in terms of your freedom of expression, in terms of your telephone, in terms of you being able to get high, in terms of you being out after curfew, in terms of you wanting to cut up in school, in terms of just thinking, well, it ain't nothing but a little uh, pair of uh, uh, sneakers and earbuds out of Walmart. You know, I'm a juvenile, I need this. If I get caught, you know, the system's going to, you know, look out for me. You don't have the luxury of doing that because you don't have that get out of jail free card. All right. You know, to the contrary, you were born with a bullseye on your back. So what what I've had to tell so many of my my black clients in a a multicultural society who have a a lot of white friends, which is a wonderful thing. I mean, you love and like who you love and like. But don't think when it comes down to it, y'all going to be treated the same when the rubber hits the road because you're not. You're not, you know. When you get that driver's license in Washtenaw County, you are four times likely to be stopped by the police as your white counterparts. Now, that's a fact. Mm -hmm. So even though you and Johnny went through driver's ed together, had the same driver's ed instructor, took the driving test at the same time, it don't make no difference. It don't make no difference. So that's one thing we got to be mindful of in a, in a liberated society, people going where they want, doing what they want. Not if you're black. And that's real, Attorney Hugo, man. <laughs> I mean, I had to have a talk with my sons, you know, as soon as they started driving, it was like, oh, my God, they're about to start driving. <laughs> you know? I just was thinking, oh, yeah. like, oh my God, you know, they about to start driving. And and so with me living outside of the city, you know, they're going into areas where their friends live that is uh, uh, what they call them sundown cities. 
And so you have to have these uh, conversations with your sons and your and even your daughters now, you know, about these sundown cities. And it is just 100% real. And so when we don't have these conversations as adults, as, you know, just people in general, the differences, then we are... Um, we're doing a disservice to ourselves, to our family, and to our communities. Just period. Correct. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we have to say, okay, there is a, a accountability as a person, as a, a spiritual human being, that you have to look out for each other and tell the truth. Be mm -hmm. honest and tell the truth. We gotta get like let go of all these crazy narratives and normalize the truth, the truth of, of us so we can know who we are. And once we are okay with who we are, then we can start saying, okay, let's pass this on to our community. Let's educate everybody. Let's stand up. We can stand up, but when we are not being truthful to who we are, about who we are, <laughs> this is what happens. There's the disconnect. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, case in point, not the same. I, you all see that story um, saw two days ago on CBS. Well, and there's more stories. It's not the only one where, uh, you know, a couple's house, a black couple's house was appraised at uh, 1.5. You know, it, it built up so much. They had refinanced when the when the rates went low and and it praised at 1.5 million. They'd done so much work to it, right? And then all of a sudden it went down to by a half a million dollars or something, the appraisal. So what they did was uh, the lady called her white friend, you know, they took down all the black art in their house, all their pictures down. And the lady called her white friend to come over and said, well, you act like you're me, be in the house. We're gonna take all our pictures down. The bid that the, the appraisals came in and appraised at 1.6 million. What? It had gone down to 900, it, about 500 or 600,000. The appraisal went up, and then they start talking about these other couples that had done that. So, back, back, back to back to attorney Max's point that that is, you know, while we're still doing, we recognize that it's not the same that 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 there are these, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? They just these. These things that are happening. It was just on uh, uh, on CBS News. I was like, "Wow, man!" It was a couple in California, a couple in California. I saw that. Um, so yeah, these things are still happening. We're moving towards towards. We knew we're moving towards uh, freedom, justice, liberation, but but these things are are, are happening, and so uh, um, yeah, yeah, and and that's a consciousness. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's yeah. a consciousness. Yeah, that, that that's not. That's not in policy or practice or anything. It's just a consciousness. You can you can have policy, but but why? You know, the policy can only be implemented when the person who is doing the implementation has a mindset for it. Otherwise, this bias will continue. Yeah, I remember when my mother first started her company back in 1983, her first company. Um, she ended up putting a, a company name as under her father's name, which was Maynard J. Wallace. Mm -hmm. 
And she knew that under Manor J. Wallace, she could walk into any bank because they thought that she was a black woman working for a white man. Wow. wow. And they thought she wow. was the, they just thought she was the, the administrator of his company. And because of that, she had open door to everything because she worked for Maynard J. Wallace, Inc. Wow. wow. It's amazing. It is. Do you write uh, Rabbitiers of Consciousness? Mm -hmm. And we we can't keep walking. Well, like uh, Ali said, you know, I think people are waking up to the consciousness. But sometimes we, and I'm talking about us, <laughs> We are still asleep to the, you know, to the mindset and we carry these biases as real. So, you know, I just think it's just our responsibility to wake up each other. And that's why these platforms are here. And, and, and these platforms are waking up people because we're having conversations, Reverend Spence, you in Atlanta, we're in, you know, in Michigan. So we're having these conversations that can go all over the world and that, can wait and enlighten, you know, people all over the place where 10, 20 years ago, we didn't have this kind of technology and, and, and kind of COVID kind of kicked it off, you know, made it go full stream because, you know, we wasn't using Zoom and platforms like this, um, like we're using them now. So we mm -hmm. have the opportunity to be in everyone's house. And so with that opportunity, I think um, that's um, why we have to continue to educate. Because Attorney Hugo, Matt, you see stuff that we don't see <laughs> every day because you're in the, what you call that, the belly of the whale. you inside of it every day. Mm -hmm. And so, True. you know, um, with my experience with the criminal justice system through my son, it woke me up, but I took that as an opportunity to be more proactive than reactive. Because at that point when it happened to me, I was being reactive, but now I can be proactive by sharing with my community, you know, by, you know, helping other people just by, you know, expressing about my journey and other people journey as we are out here every day. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that uh, really resonates with me because I'm just thinking about, like I was mentioning, the, the just reacting to things the, the versus being proactive versus, you know, maintaining what you have and trying to be better at who you are and trying to help people be better and not, not um, invest in these systems that harm us. Um, the work isn't just when it makes headlines. The work is when we're at home, when we're with our family, when we're at work. So, yeah, I completely agree. Right. Because if we can't get our family together, if we can't get the people that we're with every day, <laughs> if we can't, you know, then we're not, we're, we're not doing the work like we're supposed to. It started with within and then it radiates out. Mm -hmm. That's right. We yeah. can't radiate out if we ain't even did the work within. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. 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 We have to become it. Right. Mm -hmm. 
We have to be the justice that we see. We have to be coming, yeah. Mm -hmm. So if we want fairness, then we have to be fair. If we want justice, then we have to, you know, show that. If we want equality, mm -hmm. then we have to be, you know, that. If we, if we want love, then we have to be love. I mean, these mm -hmm. principles yeah. Yeah. that seem so simple, you know, that we say all the time. Well, we say all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but that we say all the time, you know, it seems so hard, you know, but once I think we just have to normalize it, you know, uh, being love or being justice or being mm -hmm. fair, or being equal, you know, to each other, to our own family members, yeah. you know, and that spark yeah. where, you know, I think that's the spark that's going to change the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at Barbados now. <laughs> right. They're free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah man. What, I, what I think is like for me, how I see all this right now, like it's like, you know, I in school, you do it's all always like one person raising their hand about a question, but no one else will. But when they do, everybody else take notes on that answer. And that's where I feel like that's a lot of where we are right now. People are a little afraid to agree and yeah. to say and speak up to the same thing, but there's people that are, so now we're yeah. feeling those other people in it. Yeah. And eventually, I hope that will be everybody raising their hand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It almost mm -hmm. like gives, gives them permission to do the same, you know? Yeah. It's like it yeah. to do the same. And this this is why, you know, you, Jay, you're talking about us becoming the thing. This is why at the end of the day, no matter what, I see out here, no matter the injustice I see, injustices I see or what happens, I will not allow it to cause me to hate. I just, right. I just will not allow it to cause me to hate yeah. and to become the thing that I despise. I, I just, mm -hmm. I will not allow it. That's you know, nice. race, gender, gender, I, I, I will not allow it to, to mm -hmm. do that to me. And that's real mm -hmm. resistance right there, right? That's That's the resistance of the system. Not allowing it to change you. Because exactly. it could have easily changed me. I could be. Oh, angry. no doubt. Oh, yeah. No very doubt. angry and <laughs> But I chose, you know, to be more loving because yeah. I had to see, I had to love my son through it. Yeah. And so, mm -hmm. in order for him to get through it, I had to change my whole thing because he's the one in there. I'm at home, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I had to shift the energy and change, you know, the narrative. Yeah. And that's what we have mm -hmm. to do. We just have to change the narrative mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. take, mm -hmm. and take our lives back. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I tell you. Go yeah, ahead. you know, I, I um, becoming it, like Reverend Spencer said, become that that you seek. And there is a collective consciousness that is happening. And it's bigger than what people really realize. Mm -hmm. People are coming together. People are deciding we're going to buy some land together. We're going to yeah. have our co-op. We're getting ready to, to do our vegetables. There are people that are saying we're saying no to the chemicals. We're saying no to the things that have been regarded as big in this on this political platform. 
And we're saying that we're taking our family back. We're setting up our own schools. We're setting up our own care for our elders. There is a consciousness. Mm -hmm. and, and you seek whatever you're seeking, that's what you're going to find. Mm -hmm. It's like if if a if somebody if a, a husband or wife is looking for somebody to be cheating on them, they'll find it because they can make it up and create it in their own mind. On the other hand, if they say uh, my my husband or my wife is absolutely loving, then they're gonna seek and feel yeah. and know all the love. Whatever you're seeking, you're gonna find it. And if you're seeking collective consciousness that is built upon love and peace and the values of your heart, you will find it. Mm -hmm. And those people will be drawn to you automatically. Yeah. And if you build it, they will come. Yeah. <laughs> right, Reverend Tia. Man, because... you're right. That's the, that's the word. That's the word. Right. Because so many word. people, I attracted so many people, you know, once I changed my, my mind about how I was looking at the problem, you know, all the right people at the right time, you know, mm -hmm. so it works. We just have to work it and we have to, you know, and like you said uh, earlier, like yeah. I healing starts on a cellular level and when we're angry we're building up all these toxins and stuff in our bodies yeah but when we let the love in that healing generates our cells yeah. and even make our immune system <laughs> yeah. you know able to stand up and fight stuff that's right and so mm -hmm. it, it starts there yeah. that's why it's not and it's our responsibility and I'm going to keep saying that every day. It's our responsibility. We keep pointing our fingers at everybody else, but it's on us first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and as we, you know, take care of us, then we can take care of the rest. The rest going to take care of itself once we take care of us, because mm -hmm. all of us will be standing up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what, Jay? We can't, we definitely, definitely cannot allow the media to create this narrative that those who march for truth are angry people. That's right. right. Because they'll try to they try to come with a narrative that Black Lives Matter. You know, they're, they're, they're angry. Right. You know, <laughs> they're angry people. You know, a Me Too movement is angry women. You know what I mean? You know, mm -hmm. they create this narrative that everybody's bad. That, that there's some anger in seeking justice. Right. You know, Tia, mm -hmm. I, man, Tia, you were saying that, and uh, I think it was. I looked early Isaiah one seven or one seventeen. She do right and seek justice yeah seek keep seeking justice to seek it yeah. and you'll get it and you'll find it yeah well, but i'm gonna keep seeking right. <laughs> yes i say this to reverend tia i just say at the time i said you know um jesus is love but jesus represented love Okay. And and that means he represented justice. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> if we're, you know, in this place, this, you know, that piece is really big in our, you know, community. Yeah. So you cannot put the, you know, how yeah. can you be so, you know, quiet and not take care of, you know, your community, your family, and all of this stuff? Yeah. You're saying you're representing Jesus. Yeah. 
or you're a follower of Jesus, or you have the mindset of Jesus, all of that, because it is not. <laughs> you don't want to be on here another hour, do you, Jack? <laughs> right. Don't open that up now. <laughs> If we're, if we're saying that we're, we're love because justice is love. I'm just saying, you, you know. I was just thinking the same thing. Right. You know, we can go there now. You know? We can. I mean, you know what? Unless you look at your Christianity through the lens of your privilege, then it's, then it's going to be something different. You know, when you're trying to live out your religion instead of your humanity. Yeah. yeah. Oh, then, then your religion right. align right. with your politics, or your your religion align right. with your with your biases, or whatever. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Because Jesus disrupted some stuff. Yeah. Come on. He disrupted all of the narrative. That's right. Yeah, and that's why they were angry at him. They that's were right. mad. They weren't angry with him just because he was healing on the yeah. Sabbath day. They were angry at him because not only did he heal on the Sabbath day and he called them a whole bunch of names. I'm not going to even go into that. But he also took the community and diverted the energy of the community so that the community was working for the community. When you read the early part, of, of the, the people of the way, which they were called, they weren't called Christians till way later, but people of the way, they, you know, and, and Judas, you know, he wasn't carrying, I tell people all the time, he wasn't carrying around $2.50. You don't need a treasurer for $2.50. Okay, so he, he was diverting the money, the economic system at that time. And so that, because he was, he disrupted the, the narratives of the day. That's right. You know, he allowed a woman to touch him with an issue of blood that was against the law. She was supposed to be stoned. So don't, you know, if you're a follower, yeah, follow him. Let me see you follow him. Yeah, follow that. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> follow that. Yeah, yeah because that. I mean, <laughs> follow, follow that. <laughs> right, because this whole month of December, <laughs> we're talking about the birth of Jesus, mm -hmm. and we're talking about all this stuff, and we're talking about the money that we're spending, and we're talking about you know accountability. Again, here comes that accountability piece. We're talking about accountability then we cannot be so stuck on these habits or rituals that keeps us, our minds, enslaved. That's right. That's right. Right. And so, you know, we have to let some of this stuff go. Yeah. You know, we're saying we're waking up, we're moving into a, a different, you know, paradigm, but we're still, you know, stuck on all these rituals. That's not even the truth of us. No. And so we can't take mm -hmm. accountability and we can't stand up for justice and we can't because we are still living in the bubble of the untruth. Ooh, that's right. Gonna say it, Jay. I'm that's right, Jay. <laughs> because I know it's 720. I know who he <laughs> Yes. But <laughs> yes. yes. anywho, you guys. <laughs> 
I just had to get that piece. I had to get that piece out. <laughs> because it's all, you know, part of the narrative. Yeah. And it's all part of the disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But thank you guys for this conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying not, not to go no more. You know, my brother, Attorney Mac, brought up back and back. I'll be like, bamboozle. <laughs> Oh, that's right. I know what you're saying, Jay. I know it. No. Yeah. But we can have part two next week. You know, <laughs> because you know, I've been listening to uh, Dr. Uba all week, so I've been in a whole other uh, <laughs> space. <laughs> But for real, you know, we just have to uh, really, all of this is a, a, a conversation that's going to lead to the bigger part of helping us find ourselves and get to where we need to be. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. sometimes we also, you know, are the carriers of the untruth and we have to start telling the truth because those truth wakes us. That's right. Once we wake up into who we are, then yeah. we're free. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. So thank you right. guys. This was wonderful. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. Thank you, Reverend Spencer. Thank you, Join us next week. Bro, Murray. God bless you, brother. God, God bless, bless you, man. Nice meeting you, brother. I'll see you again. And if you want to join right. us count, next week, count on that. Uh, Reverend Spence for part two. Just let me know. I know it's the open invitation. I know it's the, thank you. I, I mean, I loved it. It was, it was great. You know, I was, I'm energized. Yeah. And yeah. Right on time, right. yeah. It's right on time for Sunday. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> See you guys next week, everybody. Okay. See you next week. <laughs> okay. All right. Hey, stay blessed out there, everybody. God bless.